0: If you're heading out to one of the several hundred protests going around the country, you should be aware that law enforcement have stepped up the ways they're tracking demonstrators. So what should you do? I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is CNET privacy expert and Daily Charge vet, Alfred Ng. Thanks, Alfred, for joining me.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So we've all seen the footage of protesters clashing with police, but beyond the physical confrontation, police and other law enforcement officials are using a lot more techniques to monitor and identify protesters. Can you give me a rundown of what they're doing? Yeah,
1: so police have had surveillance tools for a very long time, and they've used things like IMSI catchers. A more uh, simple name for that would be Stingrays, which are tools that serve as fake cell phone towers. So when when you're texting somebody or when you're calling somebody, it would connect to them rather than connecting to whatever service provider that you have. And they would be able to use that to intercept all your calls and all your text messages that you're sending. Um, they also have been using tools like uh, geofence warrants where they can send requests to poli- uh, to tech companies or they can send requests to cell service providers and say, we want um, data on all the mobile phones that were in this specific area. Can you please um, provide that kind of information And Google and you know companies like T-Mobile, AT and T, Verizon—they have complied with these requests because they're legally obligated to. Um, other tools include facial recognition um, that they use to identify people in protests. Um, there was another tool used during the protests in Baltimore where they used uh, a company called GeoFedia, which was doing social media surveillance uh, to basically help identify protesters um, that were demonstrating, again, against pr- police brutality.
0: So you you actually wrote about geofence warrants yesterday, and it's an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people really understand. Like, how specific or how narrow is that geographic target that they can get? Can they get down to a square block, to, like, a 10 square feet patch of land? Like, How specific are we talking about?
1: So these geofence warrants, the threat is more about the fact that they don't have to be specific at all, uh, more so versus how specific it can get. So in a case in Virginia that I had found, they narrowed it down to within the range of like just a bank or the block that a bank was on because they were trying to figure out who was behind this bank robbery and they didn't have a name, they didn't have you know, any details about what the person looked like or anything like that, but they, they knew that it happened at this bank at this time so they send this warrant request to Google that says we're looking for data on all the phones that was in this area uh, during this hour but the problem is is that with these warrants you can have it you know the size of an entire neighborhood these are this is essentially a dragnet surveillance kind of thing where imagine the the non-tech like version of this right it would basically be cops Knocking on every single door being able to go in and search every single home and say and and seeing you know Hey, were you at this bank at this time that kind of thing? Uh, Yeah, and that happened in colonial times. That was called uh, a General warrant Um, and that's part of the reason why we have the fourth amendment now to say you need probable cause and you need a specific reason to search someplace and That was understood for a very long time with with search warrants, but with geofence warrants It seems like you know because the law hasn't really caught up with the technology, they're able to just do these widespread searches and gather data on, on you know, uh, an entire range of people. There are so many cases where, you know, innocent people have had their data swept up by these searches just because they just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Wow. Wow. And, and it's not very difficult for police obtain one of these warrants, right?
1: It's not difficult at all from what we've seen uh, in other cases. So out of Minnesota, um, the Minnesota Public Radio did an investigation on this where judges will sign off on this with, it, with like just looking at it for like 5 10 minutes or so uh, another issue with that being that it's hard for to visualize something when you just get the latitude and longitude so these warrant requests they don't show they don't show like oh we're looking for something in this area they'll say something like we're looking for uh, data on devices between the coordinates of negative 110 uh, latitude and uh, positive 105 longitude. I don't know where that is. That could be in the middle of the ocean for all I know. But (laughs) you know, that's the point. Like you when you hear something like that, you don't know how large that whole area is and you kinda just and judges have just signed off on warrants like that.
0: Well, wow. and, and you also mentioned in your, your story today that the DEA is now authorized to monitor protesters. What are some of the implications with that?
1: So, BuzzFeed News obtained a memo um, from the Justice Department basically signing off for the DEA to do covert uh, surveillance, which basically means they're allowed now, they have a blank check to basically secretly spy on George Floyd uh, protesters. Um, Now, the argument from the Justice Department has been, you know, we're doing this kind of surveillance to look for rioters and members of Antifa and things like that, you know, the people that are causing damage during these peaceful protests um, outside of police. And the consequences of, you know, the DEA being able to do blanket surveillance means that you now have the full force of the federal government um, able to do secret surveillance. and, And that includes things like IMSI catchers, uh, but not just at the scene of the of where these protests are, because they have planes that can fly around and and just gather data on thousands of people. Um, all at once, um, and and you think about the surveillance tools that the NSA has, where it's not limited to just you know what you have on your phone when you're at these protests anymore. Where you know there are things like you know phone call records and browser history uh, types of searches, and that's it, there's a lot of you know concerns with surveillance and and the power of the federal government when it comes to this.
0: That is a lot to take in. Um, you at least wrote a handy guide on some of the best ways to protect your digital privacy. And I know these aren't foolproof, given some of the resources that the that law enforcement and the federal government have. But you know, what are some of the biggest uh, things to think about when attending a protest and, and looking to protect your digital privacy?
1: Yeah, the guide that we put out today is kind of in descending order of what your threat model is, which people like to throw that word around a lot and it can sound like jargon but threat model is basically you taking a look at you know what are things that you consider threats to you and how to react appropriately to it so if you are absolutely concerned about you know your phone getting hacked by police because they have tools that can break into phones my number one tip would just be don't bring a phone at all um because there are you can you know do things at protests without needing your phone there the entire time but if your threat model is a little bit different and you just want to attend a peaceful protest and leave before the curfew um and try to avoid any interactions with police officers then you know you might want your phone there you might want to use it to take photos you might want to use it to take videos of anything that you see um so in that scenario um it would probably be best still to use a burner phone uh, with encrypted apps on it. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the police have access to tools like Stingrays that can intercept uh, phone calls and text messages, but they can't break encryption. So if you're using an app, a messaging app like Signal, that allows you to send encrypted messages between you and other people that police can't intercept over the airwaves and Signal has also stood up to uh, warrant requests in the past, where uh, courts have asked them, can you hand over these these messages between uh, these people we're investigating? And Signal has flat out told them, we're not doing that. Like these messages are encrypted and we can't give you this data even if we wanted to. Um, Signal also just recently released a tool that can blur out faces in photos, which is pretty important for blocking things like facial recognition.
0: And, you know, how do you, if you must have your phone, how do you keep the police from accessing that phone?
1: Yeah. If you must have your phone and you don't want to bring a burner phone, like you want to bring your own personal phone, there's a lot of things you can do in the settings um, to make sure that police don't have easy access to it. Uh, for starters, you should turn off all biometrics on your phone. So if you have something like touch ID or face ID, you should turn that off. Uh, it, it's Pretty easy for you to get into your phone using those biometrics, but at the same time, like it makes it pretty easy for police to get into it. In the past, courts have allowed police to force people to unlock their devices using their fingerprints, and the FBI has also just kind of held up a phone to a person's face to unlock it through Face ID. Different courts have given different verdicts on what's allowed and what's not allowed with biometrics, where some say that that does violate the Fourth Amendment. But if I were you, just why take that risk? Just don't have biometrics enabled on your phone if you're in a situation where you think that you're at risk from police officers. The best plan is to just have a a strong password on it where they can't compel you to give that up. And you also want to make sure that the password is, you know, a long password that makes it harder for police hacking tools to to break into it.
0: All right. And you talked a bit about burner accounts. Uh, like what, how, what would you recommend people do if, you know, they don't necessarily need to have their own personal, you know, Instagram accounts or email accounts?
1: It's probably best to just use burner accounts where you can set up a new Twitter account uh, or you can set up a new Instagram account to, to live stream these kinds of things. That's not tied to your real name. That's not tied to your real email account. Um, and you know if you want to take an extra step of precaution you could maybe go to a library or go to a coffee shop and use the public Wi-Fi there to set that up um, same thing with setting up a signal account or anything like that um, if you have a new Gmail account then you can potentially use that to set up a Google voice number now you have a phone number that's not attached to your identity either and you can use that to set up signal um, So, these are all ways that you can kind of protect yourself while still being in the public eye with with these kind of burner accounts that don't really have any ties to your actual identity.
0: All right. And and lastly, anything else uh, you should bring? Yeah, I would
1: recommend wearing a, a face mask, like, you know, just outside of the very important health purposes because the coronavirus pandemic is still happening face masks are pretty helpful for preventing uh, facial recognition from being used against you Um, obviously like facial recognition companies have been kind of working around the clock to be able to identify somebody even when they have a mask but until that's effective you know these masks cover essentially what these algorithms depend on the these facial recognition algorithms are dependent on mostly the center part of your face and if you have a face mask on not only are you protecting yourself from a pandemic but you're also keeping safe from these kinds of facial recognition detections
0: all right well thank you alfred and thanks for reminding us about pandemic i know with all the talk about the protests that that's kind of lost in the shuffle but that is still a thing And so if you're going to go out there wearing a face mask beyond facial recognition, it's just a healthy option. You can check out Alfred's story on CNET.com, as well as all of our coverage on the protests. If you have any questions, leave us a voicemail at 862-250-5713. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.